0: Get our Bibles out this morning. We're in Matthew chapter 28 as the children are leaving. Happy Resurrection Sunday, amen. Woo! We have a drama presentation for you this morning. We didn't just leave our laundry on the altar here. We just <laughs> wanted you to know. But we're going to get into the word in just a little bit. Today is today is the World Series of the Christian faith. It's the Super Bowl of the Christian faith. It's the day that we remember that Jesus died and he rose again and he destroyed the power of sin so that we could be free this morning to worship God. Amen. What an awesome day. Matthew 28, 1 through 8 gives you the account and scripture uh, of the resurrection that we're going to look at this morning here. And I want to read it to you. I'm going to thank the Lord for the word and then we'll jump right in. Father, we thank you this morning that we could come together in this place brothers and sisters, and worship you, and be in your present, and celebrate the fact that you are alive today. We serve a living God today, and we rejoice in that. And we thank you for all the life that comes through uh, you to us and touches our lives. So we thank you for being with us here today. So let the word come alive to us. and challenges us. Give us strength and wisdom from your word to see clearly what you have done for us to revel in the majesty of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. And the church said, amen. Amen. Matthew 28, 1 through 8. Now, after the Sabbath, as the first day of the week began to dawn, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat on it. His countenance was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, "'Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, "'Come see the place where the Lord lay, and go quickly and tell the disciples that he is risen from the dead, and indeed he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him.'" behold, I have told you. So they went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to bring his disciples word. What an account here. What an exciting day for them. Uh, You know, the disciples and those who followed Jesus had been through so much and seeing him lay his life down and be crucified. And Here it is. It's Sunday. It's the day after the Jewish Sabbath, which is Saturday, and the women are coming to the tomb here. The two Marys are coming, and notice they're visiting that place where Jesus was laid. Many people go to gravesides, and they look at gravestones, and they they mourn, and they miss those who they've lost. And these women here, they're coming. There's Uh, ideas that they were coming to finish the Jewish embalming process to, uh, you know, uh, get in there and just do what they had to do. There's a stone in the way. I'm not sure how they were going to do all that. But they were there because they loved Jesus. And they were checking in in that place where he was laid to rest. Now, understand, uh, the events that take place here are not natural. They're supernatural. God's kingdom is not a natural kingdom. It's a supernatural kingdom, amen? And there are some supernatural things that took place here. Verse 2 says that the earth shook violently. There was an earthquake. How many understand an earthquake will get your attention? No matter how tough you think you are, no matter how in control you try to be, when the earth shakes and you're on it, that'll get your attention, And the earth shakes. Why? Because God was trying to get their attention that something out of the ordinary was happening. Now, as if that wasn't enough, the earth shakes and an angel of the Lord comes and rolls the stone away and he sits on it. Now, think about that. You show up here and there's an angel sitting on the stone. I don't know how he was sitting. You know, maybe he was like this or maybe he's like this, but. He's sitting on that stone, and that means something. He was showing dominion and power. You see, the grave didn't have power over Jesus. Heaven wasn't defeated by the death on the cross. Uh, he was not there, and the angels sat. Anytime someone's seated in Scripture, it shows power and authority. God was saying, I have taken all authority over this, and I've done supernatural things here, and the angel sits there. Now, if the earthquake wasn't enough and the angel wasn't enough, uh, you know, The the stunning presence of this angel described in verse 3 and 4 is just amazing. His countenance was like lightning. I mean, his face, you know, it just glowed. You say, well, why would his face be like that? Well, because angels reflect the glory of God. Angels have no glory in themselves. They're created beings. But because they're in the presence of God, they reflect the glory of God. When the, fall, when the angels rebelled against God and fell with Lucifer, they became twisted and ugly. Why? Because they no longer reflected the glory of God. Yet this angel, his face was like lightning. Now, come on, ladies. There's no makeup. There's no oil of olay. There's no nothing you can put on your face to make it. When you come out of the bathroom, your husband says, you look like lightning. <laughs> no, there's something supernatural happening here, the reflected glory of God. And, and look what it says, I mean, about his clothes. He was, he was stunning. His clothes were white as snow. His face was like lightning. And I want you to see something here. The guards that were at that tomb, it says they shook of, for fear of him and fell like dead men. Now, I want you to understand something here. This was not, you know, just a bunch of uh, security workers or, you know, people who rent the cops. These were Roman centurions, The Praetorian Guard, the elite, amen, these were the navy seals of the Roman Empire. They were gristled, battle hardened warriors. And just one angel showing up, and they fall. They wilt like the grass in the heat of the day, and they fall as dead men. One angel. You see, man can offer no resistance to the will of God. Man cannot stop the will of God. The devil couldn't stop Jesus. The Romans couldn't stop Jesus. The Jewish priests couldn't stop Jesus. One angel, <laughs> and they're on the ground as dead men. Now, the angel is visible, stunning. He has an impact on everyone at the scene. In verse 5 and 6, the angel speaks to the woman, women, and the first thing he says is, don't be afraid. That's important. Why? Because anyone who's ever seen an angel in Scripture gets afraid. And, you know, I, there's no picture in my Bible of how the ladies look, but you can imagine the look on their faces the romans are laying on the floor they're standing there uh oh are we in trouble you know and he's like don't be afraid and that's the that's the that's the message that god has for us today the supernatural has invaded the natural and we don't have to be afraid anymore He says to them, don't be afraid. I know why you're here. You're looking for Jesus who was crucified. And the angel says, come and see the place where the Lord laid. The stone's rolled away. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is not there. Only his grave clothes are there. And he says, come and see where he laid. He's not there. The angel calms them. He speaks to them. He proves to them that Jesus is no longer in the tomb. And then in verse 7, which I always find humorous, he says this and go quickly and tell his disciples he has risen from the dead. You say, why didn't he tell the disciples themselves? Why didn't he tell the leaders? Why didn't he tell anybody in authority? Why does he tell the women? And I'll answer that question, telephone, telegraph, tell a woman. (laughs) If you want to get information spread, you don't tell a man. Can you see the disciples would have came home? What happened today, honey? Oh, it was a long day at work, you know. Oh, yeah, something about Jesus rising from the grave. What's for dinner? But God knew exactly what he's doing. Tell the women and they went and they spread the message. They, I love what it says here. They went out quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. Fear, why? Because something supernatural had happened. Great joy, why? Because Jesus who was dead is now alive and all their hopes and dreams that were dashed and shattered have come back to life. So they go and they tell Jesus' disciples and they spread the news just like God wanted them to. And uh, the news spreads like wildfire. He's going to meet them in Galilee. And so now there's a stir among the people of God. Every true follower of Jesus knows that he's alive. If you're a Christian today and you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, by, by the sound of your hands, clapping, tell me that you believe that he's alive. Amen. He's alive. We know he's alive, amen? He's real to us. He's real to us. We do not serve a dead God. God is not the great I was. He's the great I am, amen? He's not the God of the past. He's the God of the present. He's the God who's moving in our lives and in our churches and in our communities right now. No matter how dark it seems out there, God is still on the throne. Jesus is alive, and that grave is empty today. Every true follower knows we don't serve a dead God. But I want to ask you a question this morning. What does the fact that Jesus is alive mean to us as individuals? What does it mean to you that Jesus is alive? The meaning of the resurrection is the message of the gospel. And the Apostle Paul outlines the reality of this beautifully in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-8. Paul gives us the gospel in a nutshell. Here it is from 1 Corinthians 15. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, here we go, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. Listen to verse 3. For I delivered to you first of all that which is also I received, that Christ is Died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. He continues, and he was buried, and he rose again on the third day, according to the Scriptures. Verse five, and he was seen by Cephas, who is Peter, and by the twelve, and he was seen by over five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater remained to the present. Some have fallen asleep. After he was seen by James and all the apostles, and last of all, he was seen by me, Paul says by one born out of due time. So Paul gives us an outline of the gospel here, and the gospel is the message of resurrection Sunday. And I want to give you three messages about the resurrection and the first one is this. Number 1, it comes from 1 Corinthians 15:3, Jesus died for our sins. There again, people hear this and sometimes it just bounces off. But as we let the Holy Spirit open it up to us and show us what that really means to us as individuals, we see, it says, Paul says, I delivered to you first that which I received. This is the message I received, Paul says, that Christ died for our sins according to the scripture. Why is it so important that we understand that Christ died for sins, that he died for our sinners? Because our greatest need is to have a Savior we're all sinners. I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. We need a savior. We can't save ourselves. Jesus died on the cross to fulfill our greatest need. You see, if we would have needed finances, God would have sent us a banker. If we would have needed healing in our bodies, he would have sent us a doctor. If we were in trouble, God would have sent us a lawyer, but he didn't. He sent us a savior to die in our place so that sin could be broken and we could be forgiven. You know, only Jesus' death on the cross would be an acceptable sacrifice. If I died for my sins, that's what you call justice. The Bible says the wages of sin are death. Because I'm a sinner, it should cost me my life. Our sin should cost our lives, but Jesus said, I'll die in your place so that you don't have to bear the penalty of sin so that you could be forgiven and you could have eternal life as a free gift and a relationship with God in heaven. Awesome this morning. This is exciting, this is so exciting uh, to understand what Jesus did in our place. Jesus' death is the only acceptable sacrifice. Listen to 2 Corinthians 5, 20 through 21. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Did you hear that today? He made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Is there anything more beautiful than that? Someone who paid my... My price tag took the penalty for me. Someone that the Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for me to get it together. He didn't wait for me to clean my life up. He didn't wait for me to try harder. No, he came For us, when we were at our worst and we had no hope and he died in our place, what? So that we can be reconciled to God. Sin estranges us from God. It puts a wall between us and him. He's a holy God and he can't deal with sin, but he sent Jesus to deal with it and reconcile us to him. And that's the miracle of Resurrection Sunday. Are you estranged from God today or have you been reconciled? There was a preacher named Ebenezer Wooten. He had just concluded a preaching service in the village square. The crowd had dispersed and they were cleaning up and getting ready to leave. And a young man approached Wooten and he said to him, Mr. Wooten, what must I do to be saved? Sensing that the fellow was trusting in his own righteousness, Wooten answered him in a rather unconcerned way. He said, it's too late. The young man said, oh, sir, please don't say that. The young man insisted, what must I do? And the evangelist said to him, it's too late. He looked him dead in the eye, and he said this, you want to know what you must do to be saved, and I tell you, it's too late now or any other time. The work of salvation is finished. It was finished on the cross. Then he explained that our only part is to simply acknowledge our sin and receive by faith the gift of salvation that Jesus purchased for us on that cross. Ebenezer Wooten, hey, if you name your kid Ebenezer, you better pay attention to what he says. He was serious and he was exactly right. We can't earn our salvation. We can't do anything to clean ourselves up. We can't make our sins go away. The truth is, we can't even stop sinning. Some of us, you know, are black belt level sinners. We're good at it. And the harder we try to stop, the worse it gets. And if we're good for just a little while, we get proud that we were good for a little while, and that's sin. Sinners need a savior. And Jesus is our only hope. and He came to die for our sins. That's the first message of the resurrection. Number two, the second message of the resurrection is found in verse four. And he was buried and he rose again on the third day, according to the scripture. See, scripture is being fulfilled here. And Paul is noting that the second message of the resurrection is this. Jesus was placed in a tomb, but he didn't stay in it. You see, that's important because all other religious leaders and all other uh, spiritual leaders, if you go to their grave, you'll find their bones there. They're still there. Only Jesus rose from the dead. Only Jesus had an empty tomb. O- only Jesus beat death. And so he was placed in a tomb, according to 1 Corinthians 5.4. Uh, Jesus rose three days after the cross. He didn't stay in that tomb very long. It was an unused tomb. I could see the Craigslist ad. One empty tomb. hewn from a beautiful rock formation, nicely landscaped. Large fitted stone to seal it. Grave clothes and Roman guard included. <laughs> Jesus didn't use that tomb for very long. He didn't see corruption according to what the prophet says. His flesh didn't rot. His bones didn't stay there. No, he is not dead. He's alive. He's risen. The tomb is empty. You see... Why is the tomb empty? Because the grave couldn't hold him. Because the power of the grave is sin. Sin gives us the sting of death, but Jesus was guilty of no sin. That's why he he being the God-man, fully God and fully man, being born in the flesh, having the capacity to sin, but overcoming it, his death on the cross is the only sacrifice that breaks the power of sin. This is the gospel this morning. Maybe you've never heard it this clearly, but this is what the scripture teaches. This is what the Bible says. It's not religion. It's the word of God. It's life. It's relationship. It's freedom. And it's for us this morning. That grave is empty. And I want to tell you something. It's a good thing that the grave is empty because if it wasn't, we'd be in a lot of trouble. 1 Corinthians 15, 13 through 18 tells us why. But if Paul says this, but if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. Watch this. And if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty and your faith is also empty. Yes, we are found to be false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he... He did not raise up if, in fact, the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, listen, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. What's Paul saying here? If Jesus stayed in that tomb, we're in big trouble. Why? Because the power of sin is still in full effect. We're still under it, and we have no remedy for it. Our faith is vain. Uh, Coming to church is vain. We should have, if Jesus didn't raise again, we should have stayed home this morning. If Jesus didn't raise from the dead, listen, the best thing we could do is get some sleep and eat in and maybe go to brunch. Because... Religion is futile, and spiritualism is futile without the resurrected Christ because only he gives us the power to have a relationship with God. The, The fact that the grave is empty is good news. It would be so detrimental if it wasn't. We'd all be fools and false witnesses. Jesus would be a lunatic and not Lord, but we know that that's not true. We know that he's alive. We know that we serve a living God this morning. You say, well, why did they put Jesus in the tomb at all? To fulfill the scriptures. The Old Testament messianic prophecies are all fulfilled in Jesus Christ. He fulfilled every single one of them. It spoke of all of the things that happened to him. And Jesus proves with beyond a shadow of a doubt that he is Messiah and he is the Lamb of God. Amen. The third message of the resurrection is this. And then I promise I'll stop talking. The third message of the resurrection comes out of 1 Corinthians 15, 5 through 8. And it talks about the fact that Jesus was seen after he rose. Listen to this again. It says here, starting in verse 5, that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, uh, and the twelve. And after he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, do you realize that Jesus's appearance wasn't just a, you know, a wives' tale or folklore? People saw him and testified to the point that the Romans thought, you know, uh, something had taken place here. Now the Jews were all freaking out. Why? Because they thought they were going to put Jesus to rest. But people are saying, we've seen him. He's alive. He's speaking to us. Look at this, whom a greater part are present, but some have fallen asleep. So Paul saying, over 500 seen him at once, and most of those people are still alive at this point. He says, after this, he was seen by James and all of the apostles. And last of all, Paul says, he was seen also by me, who was born out of due time. So the fact that Jesus is seen after he's crucified is a matter of historical fact. The historians of the day chronicled it. People have eyewitnesses, accounts of it, uh, 500 at a time. The disciples were willing to be martyred, crucified, and murdered rather than deny that Jesus rose from the dead. Look, no one's willing to die for a hoax. Right. You know, people might try to perpetuate a hoax, but when it comes down to, hey, we're, we're going to kill you for it, they'll say, ah, you know, I was just kidding. Think about what it, what it says here, that they believed in so strongly in his resurrection that they were willing to die a martyr's death. You say, come on, pastor, you know, they were alive then, this had just happened, Jesus was risen, and they could see him, but we can't see him, and the truth is, yes, we can't see him with our eyes, but we can believe in him and see him with the eye of faith, and you know what, you say, well, I would rather see him with my eyes, someday we will see him face to face, amen? But right now, Jesus says it's even more blessed for us to see him by the eye of faith. You know, I mean, you would think I would rather see him, but Jesus said, no, you're more blessed. Listen to John 20, 27 through 29. Jesus is dealing with Thomas, one of his disciples that were doubters. Any doubters here today? Well, this is for you. He, he 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 walks into the place and he goes right up to Thomas and he's like, hey, Tommy, what do you think? Here I am. And Thomas, he says to Thomas, you know, Thomas said, I won't believe unless I touch his nail-scarred hands. And I put my hand in his side. Jesus says to Thomas, gets right up in his face. He says, reach your finger here and look at my hands. Reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And that's the word of the Lord to us today. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. And Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. God is telling us we're more blessed to be those who believe. That's us he's talking to today. We haven't seen him with our eyes, Scott, but we believe and see by the eye of faith that Jesus is alive. We feel his presence. We hear his voice. We know that he hears our prayers and he moves in our lives and he moves in our church. He was seen by many. But the real question for us today is this, do we see him? And I ask you that question today. Do you see him? Do you see how beautiful that old rugged cross is that it's not a symbol of religion, it's not jewelry. The cross that the Romans used as a vehicle of torture and murder is the vehicle that God used to bring salvation to the world. Do you see today what the cross really represents? That salvation is given to whosoever will call upon the name of the Lord as a free gift. Do you see how desperately each of us need to know him as Savior and Lord? It's not just enough to know about Jesus, we've got to know him. It's a personal relationship with him that saves us from our sin. I want you to see today how desperately we need to know him as Savior and Lord. I've been coming to this church since I was a teenager. At 14 years old, I was at this very altar and accepted Christ and my life has never been the same since. Not only that, they haven't let me leave. But I want you to see what we need to see today, that Jesus is Savior, that Jesus is Lord. Do you see how deep and relentless his love is for you and I? He never gives up on us. He never throws the towel in us. He never turns his back on us. Though we're stubborn, though we sin, though we resist him, he relentlessly pursues us even to this moment right now where he's tugging on the hearts of men and calling us to come to him. Do you see today that he's not dead? Do you see today that he's alive? Do you see today that he offered himself for us? He died in our place.